countries of the world. And I'm thankful to be here with my husband, the father of my children, the grandfather of my two granddaughters, and my father-in-law. And I'm glad to see my son here in the house of the Lord. He has become a father since he married my daughter, and we are blessed to be surrounded by believing men. Amen. I just, I can't add anything. I thank Bishop for his very poignant story of his life and very kind invitation to everyone to immerse themselves in this church. And then Brother Tim's story of his own father and how people in this congregation became fathers. And then my son-in-law who acknowledged the spiritual leadership of my husband and who has seen characteristics in his own father and the men of this congregation that exemplify what fatherhood is. So I really can't add anything, but I do have a little insight. And I'd like you to go with me to John, the 20th chapter. And I'm going to skip around a little bit. And Sister Sue Ann, if you could put it in the message, that's fine. If you can't, I'll just read it, whatever you can put up there. I don't usually speak from the message because it's just a little bit too folksy for me. And I think it's probably more of a interpretation than a translation. But it's trying to break the Bible down for people who are not uh, really conscious of all the wordiness of King James. But I want you to go with me, if you would, um, to, uh, let's see, we'll start at the first verse of John 20. I'm reading in uh, the message. Early in the morning on the first day of the week when it was dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw the stone was moved from the entrance and ran to tell Simon Peter uh, and the other disciple that Jesus loved, breathlessly panting. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. And then the next verse, Peter and the other disciple left immediately. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter and stooping in to look. He saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who got there first, went in the tomb, took a look at the evidence, and believed. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples went back home. I think that's understandable. They go to the place where they last saw him. He was supposed to be dead. He's not there now. What are you going to do? They made a logical decision. But there was one follower who was not logical. She was irrational. And thank God she was. She just kept crying. And David made reference this morning about being compassionate with little girls. That's one of the main differences right there. These men bore their grief inwardly. They imagine their minds were absolutely overcome with thoughts. We know they were because in the other gospels that they talked on the road to Emmaus, we thought this was gonna be it. He was the one. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she knelt to look inside. So she'd already seen it once, but she went to see it again. It's like, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm struggling. I cannot get over this loss. I am struggling. And guess what she saw for her struggle? Two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head, at the other at the foot. And notice what they said to her. I love this. 
Then it'd say, stupid woman, stop your crying. They said, why are you crying? Give me, tell me what's up with you. Because the point was to make her stop. The point was to lead her to the truth, to something good. So notice that the angels did not shut her down. They opened her up. All right? And now I want to show you how important that is. You can say, well, that's angels. Ta-da. But, please look. It said, they took my master. I don't know where they put him. And after she said this, she turned away from them. Because you, you're asking me questions, but you still haven't addressed what's wrong with me. And saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't recognize him. Typical. When you're overcome with emotion, you don't see anything but you and your loss. And guess what he did? So here's one of the first marks of fatherhood. Why are you crying? Talk to me. This is an invitation. Jesus modeled for us. Tell me what's wrong. That's the first thing. I thought that was very insightful. And then... Because he could have told her, he could have preached her sermon, he could have said, dry it up, don't raise your hand. How many of you have been spanked and after you get spanked and you're sobbing, your parent says, stop that crying. It's a little illogical because you spanked me so I would and now you're telling me not to. Because, you know, children can, there are divas among us <laughs> who can extend the sobbing. And yet, Jesus didn't try to quench her. He, he just said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? So he directed her focus. That compassion, that inquiry, those are some of the marks of fatherhood that Jesus exemplified. And she thought he was the gardener and said, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can take care of him. So now he has stopped the conversation. He's made it personal. Personal. Mary. He calls her by name. That's the second thing. Not only does the Lord invite inquiry, he makes it personal. He doesn't just come and expect you in a church service of 50, 100, or 5,000 to address you as a group. He is personal. He uses names. He gave us a name. I was with, I was in a store today, and I heard, I guess it was his dad, I don't know. The little boy was so tiny. And that man was so hard on that little child. And I listened to the way he talked to him. And that little boy was following him around, pleading. He was little. He couldn't have been much more than three if he was that. He was so little. And he was asking for this and that. And, and the man was kind of taunting him. Now cut it out. Now come help me. Why don't you help me carry this? And then finally he just said, I'm not getting you any of that. And I thought, how crude, how rude, how rough he's treating this child. That little boy didn't bat an eyelash. He already knew those words didn't mean a thing. But Jesus used words. He used them to create. He said, I am the word. And he used her name because he wanted her attention. And then she turned to face him. He always invites a face-to-face, -face, not a confrontation, but an invitation, a face-to-face -face invitation. And she said, Rabboni. And then he gave her direction. Don't cling to me yet. I'm going to, now I want you to look at this. Go to my brothers. 
So he immediately put himself in the family, in their family, go to my brothers, and tell them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. He said, I'm in your family and you're in mine. So there was none of this distance, worship me from afar. There was none of this top down, I am superior to you. There was none of that. This was an invitation to be in a family together. This is also a sign of fatherhood. Not superiority, but let me raise you up to where I am. I'm in your family, you're in mine. I own you. I, I am responsible for you. I'm accepting you. This is powerful signs of fatherhood. Then Mary Magdalene went and took the news to everybody. Now, in the next section, I want you to look at this real quickly. Later on that day in verse 19 and 20, the disciples were gathered together and they were fearful. They'd locked the doors. Jesus didn't say, knock, knock. He just got in there. He entered, and I want you to notice what he said. What did he say? Peace. That's another sign of leadership. And I want you to see, Jesus had just been through crucifixion. He'd been through murder. He did not show them wounds. What did he show them? What do you think his hands looked like? They were healed. This is amazing to me because I have admired and wondered at men who go through warfare, who have scars, and they don't talk about it. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not internalize, bury, and suffer silently. Jesus got healed. Jesus got healed. He went through the process of healing which was suffering, crying out to God. He died. He lay silent for three days. But when he came back, he didn't say, let me tell you how bad it was. He said, you saw me suffer. Let me show you how I healed. This is another sign of leadership, of fatherhood. That Jesus did not take out what was done to him on his little kids. He did not beat them. He did not berate them. He did not punish them. He did not say, you're all a bunch of sorry losers. And he did not use words to hurt people that hurt him. While he was hanging, you know what he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say, I forgive you. He said, there's somebody else watching this scenario. Forgive them. And then he didn't, he didn't cuss out his disciples. And when he came back, he didn't bring up to the fact, y'all left me hanging there. There was no reprisal. There was no rebuke. He said the first word out of his mouth was what? Peace. Don't be afraid. I'm not mad. I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. Look, I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. Imagine. Now, he was God in flesh, but when he gave us the Holy Ghost, he said, I want you to be like me. I'm going to give you the power to become the sons of God. Then he showed him his hands and his side. And he said, like the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And I love this, verse 22 and 23. He took a deep breath. And then he got just as intimate as you can get. He got close. He breathed on them. And then he said, if you forgive sins, I'll forgive them. I trust your judgment. Look at this. They didn't even have the Holy Ghost yet. And he said, you go and do what I did. I forgave. You heard people. You heard me say, Father, forgive them. You go. And then, 
All right? I'm, I'm, that's not even where I want to go. I'm just skipping through here real quickly. Thomas said, I'm not believing it. You guys are hallucinating. I, this is not possible. It's not human. And he said, unless I see the nail holes, well, he'd already showed and stick my hand in his side. So do you know how gaping that would have been? I won't believe it. Eight days later, they were in that same room. Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked door. Nothing stopped him. You know something? That's another sign. When you have something from God, fatherhood does not take offense. Fatherhood recognizes you're my child. I love you. I'm coming in even through a locked door. I don't know how we can apply this because you don't want to beat the door down. But when you know that your children can't figure out and you know somebody even in the body of Christ, I don't, you've been suffering. I don't, I don't know if you've gotten through. You have something to give, sir. Don't withhold your heart. Even if it's not your biological children, you see somebody sitting in a corner in our congregation and they're going through something and they're frightened. Jesus had overcome, but his disciples hadn't. They were scared. They were lonely. Fear was enormous. Fatherhood just says, here, peace. So it's going to be okay. You can't... You can't do that unless you've been through it. But and some of our men have been going through some things. And maybe they're not ready yet to share. But I'm telling you, there are some men in the making like Jesus. And what we do is we encourage each other on that journey. Just like the Lord did these disciples. Jesus came in again. And what was his first word to him? Peace. I'm, I've come to bring you peace. I know you're troubled. I have a word for you. Peace. But you don't know my circumstance. I know exactly your circumstance. Peace. And a father speaks peace. He doesn't stir it up. He calms it down. I'm telling you, he calms it down. And most dads have already figured that out. They can walk into a room with two kids fighting like crazy. And a dad can walk in and calm it down. Remember when Jesus stood up on the sea and said to the storm, stop it. And then he turned to them and started asking them questions to allow them to share where they were. He focused his attention on Thomas and said, go ahead, examine my hands, go ahead, my side. And then he said, don't be unbelieving. Believe. And then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now I want to go to the next chapter because this is the one that got me. This really got me. After this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is how he did it. Simon Peter, Nathaniel from Cana, the brother Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. This is so perfect. Simon did not know how to process what had happened. Even with a God appearance, Simon could not process I saw you die. I saw you appear through the door. I have no idea what to do about it. This is pretty amazing to me. So Peter turned around and said, I'm going fishing. I started to entitle this, Men Who Cook, Fish, and Work. I didn't know what to call it. It just moved me. Peter, I understood why Peter did that. I love to fish. My dad 
In fact, the first date we had was with pastors, grandma, and grandpa in a little boat with an outboard motor. Do you remember that? I know you're telling a story because you do remember it very well. He took me fishing. We've been fishing ever since. <laughs> and, he, and Simon Peter said, I don't know what else to do. I'm going fishing. I'm just, well, that's right. Maybe it was the second. We went to Fisherman's Wharf. That's okay. Okay. And then, and then we went with your grandparents. Cut this out. <laughs> and Jesus did not correct their version of events either. That's how come there were four different versions. He let them all stand. We're going with you. They went out and they got in the boat and they went at night. And guess what they got? Nothing. Sun came up and Jesus was on the beach. Jesus anticipated and was waiting. I'm telling you what now. Mm. He didn't recognize. He said, good morning. He greeted him. I want you to notice how courteous he is. So courteous. Because he's been through all of this and they're here. They don't know how to bridge. So he does it for them. I can't assume that you're going to be able to make the distance. I'll make it for you. But know where he is. He's on the shore waiting. Who's that sound like? Remember a story about a prodigal son whose dad just kept waiting for him? I'm talking about fatherhood. He said, good morning, courtesy. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They must have been close enough to holler. He asked them a question he already knew the answer to. Now, why would he do it? Because he's a good father. And he wants them to talk to him. He already knows. That's not the point. I want to talk with you. So Jesus uses questions. Just like in the beginning in the garden. Adam, where are you? Cain, where's your brother? Simon Peter, did you catch anything? All night long. No. He said... Throw the net on the right side and see what happens. Again, direction, but given kindly and courtesy, courteously, courteously. And they did what he said, and all of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. If they hadn't already had a relationship with him where they got results by doing what he said, they would have never done it again. But you know what? When he speaks, things happen. When you speak and you give direction as a godly man, your children are going to see the result of your godly life and you're going to build trust with them. Now this moves me because, and I'm glad some of you that were on vacation came back because when I came to this church, I was amazed at the service of the men. Every church I've ever been in, it's been the women. The women who do bake sales, the women who cook, the women who clean, 
the women and the children, and many of them don't have men in their lives because they're divorced. I can't tell you how many single mothers and divorced women I went to church with as a little girl because the men were absent. But when I came here, I noticed something. There was service. And I think there is something so powerful about the relationship between men who become fathers and the children that follow them. Thank you. This moved me. All of a sudden, there were so many fish, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. And the disciple Jesus loved. Now, why him? Because of relationship. He said, that sounds like what I've heard before. What have you heard from him? Always something that brings a good result. Throw the net in on this side. Look what happened. Do this. Go wash. Look what happened. See, Jesus chose his words carefully because all those miracles and signs and wonders that he did for all those people. Bishop read this morning, Matthew 5. In the message it said, when Jesus saw all that multitude, you know what he did? He went away to a quiet place and called the 12 to him. I wondered when I went to that hill in Israel how all those 5,000 people would have heard him. I don't think they did. I think they were following him hoping they'd get another fish sandwich. But he pulled the 12 away and said, there are going to be thousands of prayer requests. I'm not here just to answer prayer requests. I will do that, but I want to teach you something. I want a relationship with you. I can build boats. I can do all kinds of things. You're, the reason I'm in relationship with you is not to teach you how to be a carpenter. I want to teach you how to have a relationship with me. And Peter, I knew you were going to go fishing because that was how I met you the first time. This moves me. And John said, sounds like him. It's got to be. It is him. When Simon Peter realized it was the master, he threw on some clothes. I'm guessing he was stripped to the waist because that's hard work, rowing, even at night. I imagine he was sweating and nasty, and so he just dove into the sea. He threw on some clothes to swim. The other disciples came in by the boat. They weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling the net full of fish. And when they got there, Look at this. Now look here. Here's men who cook. That's what I noticed about the men in this church. And the kitchen they asked for, it's a, it's a sturdy kitchen. It's almost hard for women to work in there. It's a man-sized kitchen. And I've seen it in this church, and I'm commending the men. I've seen it. And to hear 18 years later that on Friday morning, early in the morning, there are more men than women in prayer meeting. I'm seeing some things that are beautiful. I'm seeing some wonderful things. I'm seeing the transition from the ones that follow Jesus to the ones who become Jesus. I'm seeing some fathers in the making and my eyes have been dazzled. I'm so thrilled and honored to see Jesus among us. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid. Jesus cooked for them. He washed their feet before he left. 
He did all kinds of servant things, kind things, courteous things, loving things, intimate things. When he came back, he asked him, why are you crying? When he came back, he said, peace. When he came back, he didn't hide his suffering. He showed his healing. This is big. He didn't take out anger, rage, or revenge. He showed them healing. And then when they were so frightened, they didn't know what to do. He said, peace. I thank God for fathers. And then after seeing all night long, hungry and tired, he prepared a table with fish and bread. And then he said, bring me some of what you just caught. I'm going to use what you bring to the table. Look at that. He could have produced the most beautiful redfish, tilapia. He said, bring me what you got. Bring me what you have. This is fatherhood. I'm so moved by this. Why did Jesus do this? Why would he cook? Because he was where he was going to be, but they weren't. And he needed to lead them a step at a time. Come on. He wants a relationship. That's what a father is. A man who has begotten children and cherishes them. They're not a means to an end. They are the end. Come let me be with you. Come be with me. I know what you need. You need peace. I know what you need. You need closure. I know what you need. You need to tell me why you're crying. I know what you need. You need to sit down here and have a meal with me. I didn't call you to work you like a farmhand in a cotton field. You come sit down and let me give you something good to eat. Oh, I thank the Lord for a good good father I thank him bring what you just caught Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore 153 big fish and even with all those fish the net didn't rip Jesus said breakfast is ready imagine I've just been through Calvary and angels strengthened me before they beat me to death I've just been raised from the dead. I've just showed up behind locked doors twice. And now I'm going to cook you a meal. Why? So you can join me. So I can bridge the distance between our experiences. I'm going to break it down for you. Not one of the disciples asked him, who are you? They knew that he took the bread. He took it and gave it to him. He didn't say, help yourself. He said, I am going to serve it to you here. It's personal from my hand to your mouth, from my hand to your hand, from my hand to your heart. I'm going to tell you something about this father that we're serving. He is not about get those kids away. I got business to do. We are his business. Would you just lift your hands right now? Oh, how sweet he is. How glorious. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He not only served each of them a piece of bread, he served the fish. You know what I remember? 
Grandma B and Papa Roy. I have never, I didn't sit at a table where my mother served my daddy's plate. We did what most American families do. We take the bowl and you pass it and then you get what you want. But I watched Grandma B serve his plate. Now, I don't know why she did it. It was a custom among them, but he would, she would take his plate and everything on the table she would put on his plate and she would give it to him. You know what it was? We have a relationship, giver, receiver. It was kind of lovely. It clearly made a mark because I remember it. And she died when Sheena was three and a half. And he died when Caitlin was 10 or 11, 13, okay. Jesus again, <laughs> correcting the version of events. <laughs> he took the bread and gave it to him. He did the same with the fish. This was the third time. Now I want to show you the next part because eating a meal, seeing a miracle will not draw you close to him unless he addresses your failure. But I want you to know how Jesus addressed it. A lot of times I think we're so crude with our language. It's a lot easier just to just get to the point. And the point was you denied me three times. But Jesus was so sensitive. He did not bring that up. It was the unspoken truth between them. It could have destroyed their relationship. You say, well, how does this work? This has to work in church because I don't know where you are with your kids that aren't serving God. But this is a discipleship message, okay? After breakfast, you see Jesus let him eat. Jesus let him catch his breath. Jesus let him rest by the fire. And then he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I don't know if he meant more than these people. Do you love me more than all those other disciples? Because you remember, Simon had said, if all of these leave you, I will not. And that day, Jesus told him a very painful truth. It was still the truth. And you say, well, man, <laughs> The truth won't make you free. It'll kill you. Well, Jesus told Simon the truth. Simon, you are going to deny me. You're going to walk out on me. You're going to hurt me. And Simon said, there's no way. And he said, Simon, before the cock crows. Now, this could have been a deal breaker, folks. Because a dad could have been angry and a son could have been so ashamed. And a lot of families break down right here. And even discipleship, people that have come to Jesus and followed him, when they mess up, they don't, know how to, they don't know how to come home. And he showed the way. He said, do you love me? And I know that pastors taught on there are three kinds of love. And, and Jesus says, do you agape me? That, that means just totally. And Simon answered him, you know, I filio love you meaning as a friend because now Peter's cautious because you know I made all these big promises that I couldn't keep held I told you I would and I couldn't 
Now, a lot of people want to sweep that kind of stuff under the rug. We don't want to talk about it, but Jesus is a good, good father. He knew that the future rested on how I resolve what you did. This is so amazing to me. He said, Master, you know I feel he owe you. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you something to do. Feed my lambs. I'm not asking you to die for me. I'm, not a- I'm asking you to just stop fishing. And I want, you to, I want you to feed someone like I fed you. I want you to treat people like I treated you. I want you to give them the bread like I've given it to you hand to hand. I want you to give them fish. I want you to make it personal. I want you to call their names. I want you to speak peace. I want you to feed them. I want you to feed their fear, not with fear, but with peace. I want you to feed their emptiness with bread of heaven. I want you to feed their longing with with food. Just like he said, if your child asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If he asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a serpent? He said, if you're evil and know how to give good gifts, how much more do I want to give to you? He said, Peter, I want you to feed. You love me? Break it down for somebody else that is as unlovable as you have been. I don't want you to cry out, forgive me. I know, I just want to know, do you still love me? I think this is one of the most powerful, liberating, truthful moments when the Lord and every father and mother in this place is going to have a moment when one of your children do something you told them not to do. And this is how the Lord treats us when he says, I told you not to do it. You know I told you what was going to happen if you did it. But the question remains the same for all of us, even when we mess up. Do you love me? Not are you sorry. Not are you going to do it again. Do you love me? Yes. Then he asked the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Shepherd, I want you to spend your time with people, not fish. I want you to become relational. I don't want you to just bait a hook and throw it in and go through the mechanics of earning a living. I want you to break yourself down like I broke myself down for you. And I want you to see the people in your life. They're my sheep, your children, your brothers, your sisters, this congregation. I want you to do for them what I have done for you. Shepherd, watch out for, take care of. Well, if they're not mine biologically, I'm not gonna go, don't go down that road because we're not biological children of Abraham and yet he calls us sons and daughters. Then he said it a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset. Then he asked a third time, do you love me? He answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. you got to know that I love you. But I don't know how to translate that into action. He said, I want you to change the way you treat people. I wanted so much to pick up that little boy in that store. 
but he couldn't have accepted me at all. I wanted to turn to that man and say, who talked to you so hard and harshly? Who put you down that you can't see a little old, tiny boy following in your footsteps? Jesus did not put Peter down for failing. He didn't tell him he was stupid and dumb and worthless. He said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you again, I don't want you to fish. I don't want you to retreat in solitude, solitary confinement, get away. I want you to go and find the people. After you've gone through what you're going through, don't walk away and shut the door like a World War II veteran and say, we don't talk about it. Turn it into shepherding. Because there's somebody out there in a war and how glorious that I have seen that happen among our men. In this church, I've seen it. I'm telling you the very truth now. Here we go again. Peter, who has to have it straight. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, You'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. Now, I know that we're not all crucified like Jesus, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're a disciple and you get old, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It's right here. You're going to stretch out your hands and somebody else is going to tell you what to do. That's the truth. It's not easy. When Sheena was five, she said, I want to be the boss. When am I going to be the boss? And I said, never. There will always be someone telling you what to do. And when you get older, it doesn't stop. You know that there are always going to be people taking your choices. And that's the question. Do you love me? Will you keep shepherding? with your experiences, turning them into peace and healed and breakfast and bridging. Oh, I want that. I want that. This is what it means to be a father. He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he turned around and he said, follow me. Hmm. You're not going to like it. Follow me. And immediately Peter is trying to deflect because that's what people do when you've heard something uncomfortable. What about him? <laughs> Isn't that like your kids? Okay, it's time for you to go. But what about her? And he said this. What's that to you? You follow me. Would you bow your heads? I feel such a... A sweet presence. John said, that's how the rumor got out among the brothers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that's not what Jesus said. He simply said, if I want him to live until I come, what's that to you? I'm your father. Follow me. This is the same disciple who was eyewitness to all these things and wrote them down. There are so many other things Jesus did if they were written down, each of them one by one. I can't imagine a world big enough.
to hold such a library of books. Lord, what a father you are. Thank you for not taking your pain out on us, but turning it into healing. You went through so much so you could stretch out your hand and say, look. You went through so much so you could turn around and say, peace. You went through so much so you could cook breakfast on the shore and then invite people to bring what they had to the table. You gave it to them, but you asked them to bring it because you are a God of relationship. And what you want more than anything else from us, even when you give us things we don't know what to do with. Oh God. So you give some of us cancer because you know we're gonna convert it into something beautiful. Or you give some of us disabilities. Because you know that you can bring us through those things and, and we'll turn it into something gorgeous like you did, whether it's crucifixion and hands and feet or I'm overwhelmed. I want to say how thankful I am for the men of this church, for the kindness and compassion I've seen them serve with. I know we're all a work in progress, but you have moved me. How come you didn't go to heaven that day? Not come back and just say, I passed the test. Y'all get along best you can, but you sent a comforter. Oh, how you love us. And how you want us to love each other. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any.